You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience, the validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What's up, guys? It's the 3M Podcast. My name is Charlie. My name is Sean. My name is DJ. And we're just a group of pals who tell spooky tales. Don't you forget it. I'll f***ing cut you. Sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> Violent today. How's everyone doing? What's new? Good. A little stressed, but good. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> me too, brother. Why are you stressed? Oh, just day to day. I know, huh? Is all. Shit's getting harder out here. <laughs> you never seem stressed. And if you do, you're either good at hiding it or we don't see you. DJ's definitely <laughs> talking you, to Sean. Right you go now. hide away. Uh, I was actually thinking yesterday how stressed I was. And I was like, I don't think people can ever tell I'm stressed. Not at all. Well, it's not only stress. It's most emotions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's I only know bad. when you're angry. Well, hangry. Yeah. And then I'm like, Sean, go need to get, eat some food. Eat a Snickers. You're <laughs> yeah. not yourself when you're. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you always get hangry? Uh, probably. I mean, I don't recall it being necessarily new. <laughs> Ever since I was like, some of my earliest memories were my mom telling me, have you eaten today? Because if I didn't eat, I would fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> I'd cry, whine, I don't know, just Dude, be I, upset. I'm somewhat similar. Recently, I've been getting better at recognizing, like, when I'm hungry, it affects my mood. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll start getting irritating. I'll say to my girlfriend, "Oh, I haven't eaten for eight hours." <laughs> Let's go eat something. I'll probably feel. She's better like, "Do after. you think it might have something to do?" <laughs> <laughs> like, huh. We were actually DJ and I were talking about this yesterday, but I've always been so disconnected to like my body and understanding that things have an effect. Yeah, same with me. For instance, I was in the kitchen last like two nights ago, and I'm eating a cutie, one of those like tangerines. And MJ, my wife, goes, um, how many of those have you eaten today? And I was like, I don't know, like 10. <laughs> and she's like, have you had been having like diarrhea or something? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, like for the last like five days, it's been pretty bad. And she's like, five days? And I was like, yeah, do you think it has something to do with Dude, that's the, 10, 10, the 10 cuties I eat a day? Yeah. <laughs> that's the exact same with me. Didn't cross my mind once. I get headaches all the time. <laughs> And Mallory will remind me, she's like, well, did you drink 
anything today? Like, oh, well, I had some water yesterday. <laughs> you know that thing that's essential to life? <laughs> Haven't done that yet today. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. I'm probably hyper aware of how things affect me now. Mm. And it's still self-inflicted when I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> I know, Sean's like, Sean will announce to our friend group, uh, hey, I'm going on a diet or something. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intermittent <laughs> fasting again, guys. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's hang out from three to seven. <laughs> Dude, I'm still good till eight. No, you, you, I don't, I don't get hungry until like eight oh one. I feel like you've gotten way better at like not being because it's not that you're mean or anything. You just have like a a presence, and I'm like a negative. And for a long presence. time, I'm like, gosh, did I do something to like mortally offend Sean? And then I realized, no, he's just hungry. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've been pretty good at masking all emotions, so <laughs> yeah. I've been practicing for a long time, 30 years. Is that a skill that you should be born with or someone should teach you to, like, understand that your body <laughs> is affected by things? Because, like, thinking back, dude, I've abused my body with food and, you know. I feel like that's something that can be taught but isn't always learned. Is it a sex thing? Like, is it a male-female? Do you think men are more disconnected? I mean, you see those videos Sexist. on, like, YouTube where it's like, this is why men don't live as long as women. And they're just <laughs> doing stupid shit. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I don't remember much from health, dude. <laughs> health class? Health classes. Yeah. Dude, in fourth grade, Miss Hoisington, she was 300 pounds plus. Hell yeah. She was a circle. <laughs> and she was our health teacher. Oh. And she got her stomach stapled. Oh. And she announced it to our fourth grade class by lifting her shirt up. Oh. Showing her bra and her boobers. <laughs> and the fat scar across her stomach. And and I think she got fired or like got reprimanded after that because half the kids were like, oh, gosh. Oh. A bunch of stitches and bruises and stuff. That's absolutely unholy. Yeah. <laughs> Holy. Um... Anyway, she Holy taught me cow. health. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah, I don't remember anything from health. I think I already mentioned it before, but I remember one thing from sex ed, and I leaned into my friend and asked him what a condom was. Bro, what's a condom? Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> I remember I was you like, telling us He was like, story. oh, it's like a tent where people have sex in so that they're hidden from the public. Who the F told him? That? I don't know, but that was like fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. So I remember walking around trying to like, Look around for these little tents. I couldn't find any. Yeah, I was like, no Man. one in Hawaii is getting any. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of celibate asses out here. No, I just thought the condoms were doing their job. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, really that's true, yeah. dude. Field tested. <laughs> it's all camo. It's just all camo. <laughs> Sean, did you guys do health and homeschool? Yeah, dude. What was that like? Dude, did you have sex ed? Yeah, dude. Actually, it was all like a physical education course, but it was all online, so not taught by my parents. Oh, okay. They're um, like, for sex ed, go to uh, go to page pornhub.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I forgot the name for half a minute. That's yeah. why I just paused. Charles pretending like he doesn't remember the name. Uh, pornography.com. <laughs> I've heard about that. Bro, last night we were watching The Bachelor. What? I can't remember uh, who it was, but he was like, she's pretty. Charles was like, she's pretty, but she's like porn star pretty. And, and I'm he's like looking at all of us for did, validation. Did that not hit for and anyone? Sean and I were like, what? What, what is that? <laughs> It's like, like no idea. <laughs> do you guys not like that? Doesn't that doesn't like hit at all? It does. Oh, okay. She seemed more like Instagram model hot to me. <sighs> I don't know, dude. First of all, I don't know if we should put this on, but I don't know. Like, 
she had a ton of makeup on. She's just like bleach blonde. I don't know. There's like a lot of things where I'm like fake tan. Yeah. I don't know. That's maybe fake boobers. I don't know. <laughs> and to me, it just kind of registered as a pornographic star. You know? <laughs> Damn it, I'm done. I don't that's more common. Don't come for me. That's don't more common me. in 2021 than it was 20 years ago. It's true. So I don't know. You do you. I don't judge. Yeah, no, I'm not judging her. I'm just simply, <laughs> gosh damn it. I'm not defending myself. <laughs> Super Bowl performance. Didn't see it. Yeah, Charles came to our Super Bowl little get-together. And then left. Came for 20 minutes and then got stressed out and left. I had so much work to do. And I also had my dog. And when I set up and I saw that there was children there, I was like, there is no way in hell. I will guarantee I will get nothing done because I will have to spend the whole time stopping Lucy from licking this baby to death. Yeah. So I was like, then I'm out. Yeah. And then um, I went home and worked and it was good. <laughs> thoughts on uh, the Super Bowl or halftime show? Of the weekend, dude. I was upset because I put money on him having a wardrobe change in the middle of the. <laughs> he stuck to one wardrobe. Yeah. I went, I was upset. Because he needed he to lost do too. Money. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy. None of it was gimmicky. I thought it was one of the best performances in years. He didn't bring out any special That's guests. True, actually. He stole the show all by himself. He's a. I don't like all his songs. There's a couple that I love, um, but I can count them on one hand. Yeah. But he's a great singer. He's super good performer. Yeah. Is entertaining. So I was happy. Hot, yeah, hot take: good. Is he not just Michael Jackson? That's his biggest inspiration. But like. When you hear him, you could be like, is this Michael? Kind of. Yeah. A little bit. I hear I hear essence of Michael. Mm-hmm. Dude, essence of Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are some other runner-ups for like future halftime shows? Future halftime shows? Yeah, definitely Fergie. <laughs> I'd put that, her up there. They did her at the NBA Finals, <laughs> and she got ro- yeah, ro- I roasted, know, I know, bro. I know. I may have told this on the pod before, but I... I was at church when I was like 10 or 11, came home and I turned the TV on and I see Justin Timberlake <laughs> and uh, Janet Jackson. And I turn the TV on, and I see them dancing and all of a sudden he reaches over and grabs her shirt and rips it open. And my mom walks in and she goes, what are you watching? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just a, a, the biggest boob on my screen. I was like, I didn't do this. I got blamed. Dude, I remember that too. I was there with my whole family. For real? I mean, most families in America saw that. That's so it's funny. It's Super Bowl Sunday. How do, okay. Do they try, they legit try to act like it was an accident? They say it was a wardrobe malfunction. That's what it, yeah, that's what it was. How is reaching up to your shirt, grabbing it and ripping it away to expose what's beneath an accident or malfunction? There's no way it was a malfunction or an accident. Yeah. I wonder if he got fined. I think they did. But at that point, when you got that kind of dumb money, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, okay. Well, then it's he came like back and F- did money, another yeah. halftime show for Super Bowl. Hmm. So, like, it wasn't really that bad for him. <laughs> yeah, so weird. Like, that had to have been on purpose. Oh, probably. But why? Hmm. Um, Dude, commercials aren't funny anymore. It's not even about trying to be funny. It's just trying to be as, like, obnoxious as possible. Yeah, just get stuck in your head. Well, the goal is to get you to talk about it. Yeah. So let's stop talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't give them shine. Let's roll. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. All right. Let's roll. Our 20-sided die. Highest number goes first. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, We want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, Go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3 a.m. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. Go. Sean, 17, me, 11, Charles, 10, that order. Ooh. All right, guys. Got a good one for us tonight. I have another story from Dan. Hell yeah. Dan the man from West Desert. Did we do a West Desert 2? I feel like we did a second up as well. Yeah. So I don't know if we did two, but you shared another story from him. Yeah. He actually sent two more stories. Oh, my gosh. Get it. And he's going to be in town next month. And he's like, guys, if you want, I can take you out to the cave. <laughs> DJ's eyes. <laughs> I'd be down. I'd be down. Frick, fine. All down. Okay. My, my little brother's coming uh, for his birthday. Baby. Oh, oh tight. Up. We could use him as bait. Hell, yeah. Bait. <laughs> bait be. <laughs> Go, go away. (laughs) But anyways, he said that he'd take us out there. He'd probably even get like some of the guys who were on like the cruise with him that would take like all the young adults out there and do stuff with them. But they might have more stories that he doesn't remember. I'm a little sketch out by that because last time we talked about how we think it's some of his crewmates. You know what I mean? I'm down with doing, doing a small crew. That's true. That's true. Also, would your dad be willing, Mel? Would your dad be willing to let us use a side by side? How protective is he of that? But he loves me. He already calls me his son-in-law. Oh wow! Oh okay. I was just making some spam sushi, as he calls it, <laughs> and then he'll let it, let us borrow it. Huh? Spam sushi. He beef. says that all the time. <laughs> He's like, What's that spam Hawaiian hamburgers? Uh, spam sushi. Anyway, anyway, I'm just trying to make it happen, dude. I like it. All right, let's go out to West Desert once again. So, and the primary thing is this company he was working with that they would take all the troubled teens out into the desert to learn basic survival skills. This all happened kind of out in the West Utah desert, and at this time, it's just south of the Dugway Proving Grounds. Whoa. So we've also talked about Dugway as well. It's kind of sketch out there. It's like not a whole lot of stuff. However, he says that 
this place that they found is super beautiful. It's south of the Proving Grounds up in these canyons somewhere. And he said it was even so beautiful that like back in the 1800s, some pioneer family decided to build some cabin up in this canyon. It's all burnt down and like rubble at this point, but like it was beautiful enough for them to go all the way there. West Desert, when I hear that, I do not think about the word beautiful. Same. So. Dude, it is desolate. It, yeah, it's exactly. If, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but me just scrolling Google Maps like I do. Um, there's this huge lake out in West Desert. Really? And it's desolate. So it's just like water and then yeah, desert? It, that's what it looks like. Huh. It's oh. almost like, it looks like a salt lake type lake. And I don't know if that's how it is or what it is, but that's what it looks like when I put like on the Google Earth, the like mm-hmm. street view. So Dan is out here in the desert and he's not with any of the crews in the camps with him. He's on their kind of emergency role. So it's just this newly created position where since they're kind of out here in the desert, there's going to be this one man, which in this case is him. And he's going to be close enough with like a Jeep to all of the camps for all of the kids. Mm. So if they have an emergency, he'll be able to get to them quickly. So he's kind of out here in this canyon and he says he's about one to two miles away from each of the different camps. And he said there were a couple of girls camps and a couple of boys camps just all within a one to two mile radius of where he was at. Now also, he said there were some parents that were planning on coming and visiting the kids in a couple of days. So... Most of the camps elected to stay in their location, whereas they would normally go from spot to spot, which is what they were doing in our last stories. So they're going to stay in these locations. They uh, were kind of kind of build up their camps a little bit better. Oh, yeah. So that when the parents came, they'd be like, oh, this is so cool. That's what I assume from reading the story. So because of that, um, Dan wasn't as busy, like going from place to place, just making sure people were still getting water, making sure they're still alive and stuff like that. So he had a little bit of extra time on his hands. So up here in this canyon, he decides he's going to build a sweat lodge. Interesting. So he's just, yo, like I a, have like extra a, time. Like a sauna, like like steam a room sauna steam room, yeah. So Casual. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I like that. Yeah, That's like Alone, the episode of Alone. Yeah, where the one girl. She makes just, a moss carpet. Exactly, Moss carpet yeah. into her steam room. <laughs> you thrived. You're not surviving, you're living. <laughs> that's that dude, that's Dan right now. Nice. So he decides he's gonna build this sweat lodge. And from his description, it sounds like he kind of digs about a foot deep and he weaves like this round structure of like branches and tree branches and stuff like that, and puts it in this 10 foot wide space, four foot high, mm. so that it pokes up above the ground four feet. Mm. And he kind of just weaves all these twigs and tree branches into it. And as he's doing this, he has this very distinct feeling of being watched. Now, he knows that there are, like, these kids out there, though. Do you know at all? Sorry to interrupt. Do you know at all if this is before, after, previous encounters? Like, where's Dan at in the whole whole experience? This is after the cave. Okay, so he kind of is aware that there's something, someone, a group of people out here. Yeah, there's something that he doesn't fully know about or can't explain. At this point in time, he gets this distinct feeling of being watched. Mm. Now, he kind of looks around, doesn't see anything. He assumes maybe it's one of the kids on like a hike or something like that, continues to build the structure. 
And apparently he had also like gathered a bunch of like cow hides and like plastic and um, like tarps to throw on top of this. And he just like layers those on top of this sweat lodge. And like from what he says, it's pretty legit. Sounds like it. I watched that YouTube video. Dude, yeah. That, I don't even remember what the YouTube Primitive channel. technology. Primitive technology That's is basically what it is. And he's going for like airtight here too because he's going to invite like all the counselors at the other camps to come over and check out the sweat lodge and With stuff. the Japanese bathhouses. Yeah, dude. <laughs> With all the men just naked. And... <laughs> so he like goes all out. And even to the point where he buries the tarps and stuff underneath the ground as well. So on the edges, there's just no air getting out of it. And then he starts looking for some like lava rocks. He's going to start heating up the lava rocks and then move them into the sweat lodge because later on that evening is when he's going to invite the other counselors to come over. So he finds some pretty good like rounded rocks. He goes and like starts gathering a couple of them, finds a really big one. He places it by his, his actual campfire and then heads out again for some more and then when he comes back, the rock is gone. Mm. And he's super confused, just kind of blank stare, staring at the ground where the indent of the rock was. And there's no footsteps going away from it either. Mm. As he kind of like comes back to consciousness, he sees it 20 feet away, close to this stream going by him. But it's the same rock, just not Moved. where he put it. So he kind of gets this creepy feeling that there's someone out there once again. And he kind of still goes through this, this justifying, hey, it could be one of the other counselors, one of the other kids, could be anything, even though he doesn't see the footsteps in the sand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you bastards. I was like, why are you guys? Uh, it was at that, that, he that point that I carried the rock. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> y'all are good Christian boys and girls. <laughs> As he uh, uh, finishes gathering all the rocks, he starts to heat them up. And as the like emergency officer for all the camps, they have to check in with him. So everyone does their check-ins and he starts to make himself some dinner. And he's starting to build up this fireplace, like a big bonfire to heat these rocks now to move into the, the sweat lodge. And as he's sitting around the campfire just chilling, waiting for the rocks to be ready to start moving in, he hears this noise from, from the forest and then looks up and he sees someone running towards him from the forest. And then in a brief second, they come out of the forest and it's one of the other counselors whose name was Will, I think. But still concerning, he's sprinting at him. Yeah, I'm so thinking Will, of get out. For real, he's doing the get out challenge. And then he runs back away. Will explains himself pretty quick. It, once he gets there, he's like, oh, I thought that it was a forest fire because of the, how big your fire actually was. Uh, we didn't know where you were at, like your actual location was. So he's like, okay, we're good. Will's a hero, bro. Yeah, he was just trying to save the day. He said that some of the other like counselors were concerned when they saw the fire off in the distance, so he ran to check it out. Now, as Will starts to head back, Dan tells him, hey, I'm actually inviting all the counselors over. I got the sweat lodge. We're going to check it out sweat later it out. tonight. Sweat it out <laughs> later tonight. On my honor. And Will's like, all right, I'm in. And starts to head off. And right as he's heading off, Dan like, calls after him again. He says, hey, were any of the other counselors over here earlier? Or like, did you lose any of the kids or anything? And he's like, no, Will, 
Willow's like, no, I don't think so. And Dan responds, he's like, well, I, I felt like someone was watching me or someone was over here and I didn't know if that was the kids. And Will's like, okay, well, I'll ask around the counselors and see if, if anyone came over in this direction, hiking or whatever. And then he heads off. Now, later that night, all the counselors do end up coming over after they put the kids to sleep or whatever it is that they do or they tuck what, them whatever in. their process is. Yeah. And they come on over to the uh, sweat lodge and he starts moving the rocks in and they all start getting ready to get in, to go into the lodge. And he just has like this little archway that leads into it. That's also pretty airtight that he's made there. They all start getting ready to go in and Dan decides, I don't think I'm going to go in on this one. He has this creepy feeling again, like something's off. And so, and what they were planning on doing was they're going to do four sessions that were going to talk about like personal history in one session, they were going to like just sweat it out and then get all spiritual, get all spiritual and stuff. I like yeah. that. So like, we should do that. <laughs> honestly, it sounded pretty dope <laughs> on this first session though. Dan elects to stay out and he's just like, well, I'll just wait till the next one. Can you imagine Kevin in a sweat lodge? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Every house Kevin is in is, is <laughs> a sweat, sweat lodge. lodge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't survive, dude. Yeah. So he closes up the door after all the other counselors go in. They're uh, doing their spiritual journey at this point. And as he is kind of waiting outside of the sweat lodge, he decides he's going to walk the 10, 20 feet away towards this little stream. Gets a little bit darker where you can see the stars starting to pop out at this point, which is pretty cool. And then all of a sudden, he hears a twig snap in, in the forest again. And he kind of scans the, uh, the hills as they slope up and sees just a darker place behind one of the pines a darker place like, like a it's spot that's like darker a spot okay. yeah. that's like darker and he's like that's not a shadow and it's not dark enough to be that dark yet and as his eyes continue to adjust he realizes that it's someone standing there and he calls out he's like who's there and no answer his eyes continue to adjust and he realizes that it's this little girl and this girl looks, as he described it, like a Native American girl. She had two ponytails, black hair, and just this headband. And as he says he does with anything that he uh, feels threatened by out here in the West Desert, he, he shoots it, starts to yell and oh. like rush toward it. Just it, damn, dude. asserting dominance, right? Yeah. So he rushes after it and... It runs off into the forest. Little girl does. She. She. I mean. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, she runs off into the forest and he loses her pretty quick. She's way too fast for him. He admits he's not necessarily a runner, mm -hmm. but loses her pretty quick. He says he ran about an eighth of a mile. And then to his horror, he hears all of the counselors screaming from back at the campsite in the sweat lodge. And so he runs back. So he sprints to get back to where, where the sweat lodge was. And he admits once he gets there, he could have missed it because it, he couldn't explain what he was seeing. The sweat lodge was gone. Oh. I hate that. And his fire that had been a giant bonfire is completely out. Oh. 
Now he sees in this darkness, like the uh, counselors who were just in the sweat lodge, all just super dazed and confused. And then he notices like the pieces of plastic and cowhide, like in trees and like strewn out on the ground as if like something had just this one foot into the ground, just taken the whole sweat lodge and like picked it up and threw it. So are they all just standing there? In confusion, they're just trying to figure out what's going on. What the heck? He knows what he's seen, but he doesn't want to freak anybody out. So he's like, this has to be like one of those freak dust devils that'll pop up here in the Utah desert or something. You guys are lucky to be alive. Just kind of like. Trying to diffuse it. Diffuse it. Yeah. And he said between some skeptical looks, there was one girl, one of the counselors whose name was Katie, who had been with him at the cave. So she, in him explaining what's going on or trying to explain to the counselors what's going on, doesn't believe him because she knows what he looks like trying to like diffuse a situation. Mm. And so they're all like, okay, let's make sure we get these counselors back to camp. And then Katie comes over to him and she's like, what aren't you telling us? Mm. And bro, what if Dan is the, the sketchy dude? Bro, we're trying to get him on here, bro. I know, but what if he's the guy? And he's trying to take this out. To oh, us. Shit. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I'm still down. <laughs> it's yeah. content, bro. Yeah, could be fun. <laughs> okay, sorry. So Katie's like, Dan, cut the shit. Okay, yeah. So Katie comes over to Dan and she says, "What aren't you telling us?" Dan starts to tell her. He says, "While you guys were in the sweat lodge, I saw this little Indian girl." I ran after her to see if I could catch her, and she escaped. She got away way too fast. And then Katie sits down, and she says, did she have, like, two long braids and, like, this headband around her hair? And then he sits down. He's like, yes. What aren't you telling me? Then Katie decides to tell, like, him what had happened just the night before. So back at one of the other camps, Katie... And another one of the counselors named Jess, Will, another one named Josh. We're all sleeping under the stars. And Jess, I could be getting these names wrong. I apologize. She wakes up and tells the other counselors, guys, we need to build a shelter. It's going to rain. And all of them are kind of like, it looks pretty clear out here. I don't think it's really going to rain. And we didn't have that on the forecast. Shut the hell up, Jess. (laughs) Go back to sleep. (laughs) But Jess insists, and so they decide to build this little uh, tarp shelter where they start to sleep under it. And Katie didn't sleep all the way under this tarp shelter. She slept on kind of the outside, the outer edge. And she says that night she had a horrible nightmare where she woke up and just above her in the tree was this little Indian girl staring at her just watching her. And then she woke up because she heard one of the other counselors, Josh, scream from the other side. No, no one really had asked Josh why he screamed at that point. But later that day, like the next morning, Katie asked Josh what happened. And Josh said, I had a horrible nightmare Mm. where I was just sleeping there, laying on the ground. And this little Indian girl was running towards me. And as she got to me, I woke up and screamed. In fact, I thought that that scream was in my dream. I didn't know that you guys heard that. 
I'm like, yeah, well, we did. <laughs> and then the truth comes out about Jess. Jess tells them, well, when I woke up last night, someone was above me. Someone was like watching me and like reached inside my sleeping bag. Oh, freak. Like moved my head to the side and like reached inside the sleeping bag. And I just tried to play it off and like pretend I was still sleeping. But when they like took their hand out. (laughs) 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 Like, damn, she's sleeping hella hard right now. I'm going to rob this bitch's flashlight. (laughs) (laughs) When eventually she took her hand out of the sleeping bag, the little indie girl, we assume, um, just decides to tell the other counselors it's going to rain and we need to build a shelter. And then it made sense to Katie why Jess slept in the dead center of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think it's going to rain. Um, (laughs) uh, Smart, though. (laughs) Smart. Now, uh, all of this kind of happened the night before this whole sweat lodge experience. And then later on, not the next day, I don't think, but later on they find out that when the cabin burned down in this canyon, there was a little Indian girl that died in there. So they kind of assume that's who it was. Mm-hmm. And potentially malevolent spirit, I don't know. Kind of seemed like it liked messing with people at very least. Um, and he said even on another experience a year later, people saw it again, saw this this entity. But for them, they all survived. That was the story of the little Indian girl. Freak. Just messing I love with that. people. Dang. I love the stories of the West Desert. Honestly, he's got such good stories. Yeah. I want more. Or we're going to go dude. live one. Yeah. <laughs> dude, if anything happens, though, y'all are going to find out how fast or find out quick how uh, <laughs> terrified I am. Bro, you're going to find out how real quick I die in a horror movie because <laughs> yeah. I just run to the door and like, who the hell is that? <laughs> um, that This reminded me of a story my coworker told me about his sister. Shout out Brady. So Brady's sister, her name is Sadie, and her and some friends wanted to go exploring around Salt Lake City, which is where they're from. And it was her and four others. Her best friend was also a girl. Three dudes. They're all packed into one car. And one of them is like, do you want to go check out that abandoned coffin warehouse? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That haunted doll factory? (laughs) That's in the middle of the night. What could go wrong? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they get there. Both Sadie and her friend are scared. So they're like, we're actually just going to stay in the car. Smart move. (laughs) Three homies are like, oh, we're going to go check it out. That would be us. So they watch them get out of the car and walk towards this building. And it's like any old warehouse. I think it's like in the in an industrial part of the city. And worn down. Hasn't been used for years. Hasn't been touched for years. Uh, one of them goes up to the front door. And the other two like circle around the sides. Try to find an entrance. They split up. Yeah, they split up. <laughs> First More clues, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight out the gate. So they're walking around. The girls don't hear it, but they watch as the boys come running back and they jump into the car. And they ran because they said they all heard this blood curdling scream. So they were all freaked out. They're like, let's come back another time, maybe during the daytime. Like, cool. So they drive off. 
they're talking to each other in their group chat. They're like, let's go check this place out again. <laughs> it's like afternoon, so it's it's not dark yet, but it's still later in the day. And they're like, cool, let's go do it. They drive, and they turn the corner, and they pull up to where they were. As they're pulling up, fear. Because the entire building is no longer there. It doesn't look like it was demolished. Like there's no debris. It's just like it was deleted from the map. And that was in Salt Lake. Oh my. Wait, how did they find out? Oh, bro. I'm asking like, how did they find out? Is that place they found out like online? Is it still there? Is it gone? Like I heard this straight from my coworker. Um, I asked him to get more details. He asked his sister and that was all he gave me. So. Bro, that's wild. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's like Glitch in the Matrix, which I said before, but I think that's my favorite genre. Just like, dude, does can't it. explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, for real. But I was going to just shout out Dan real quick. He's uh, writing a book, I believe. And uh, whenever we find out like what that book is, we'll have to shout him out. But thanks for the story. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Dan. you, Dan. Sweet. Is that you tonight? That's me. Dude, me, I love me, that. me, next. I'm going to share a story I think you shared already. Okay. I can't remember. But there are big pieces of it that I don't think you came across, so you didn't share. Oh, dang. Cool. And I'm going to go across. Okay. Okay. On the late night radio talk show, Coast to Coast AM, they had a guest by the name of David Polites. And... They ask about a specific case. It's the case that I'll be sharing tonight for my story. Hell yeah. David says, and I quote, of all the cases I've ever written about, this is the one that disturbs me the most. Yes, dude. First of all, shout out Coast to Coast with Dave Norrie or something like that. Yep. I used to love listening to them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was young. I'd turn it on. And they'd just be talking about the wildest stuff. Yeah. Just the weird and bizarre. That's what they talk about. So it's exciting. Um, yeah, we're going into missing 411. So this is the case of Dennis Martin. So Dennis Martin was six years old. Dennis, his brother Douglas, their father, and their grandfather went on a trip on the weekend of Father's Day. And for their trip, they go camping in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So for all of you out there, if you're not familiar... Great Smoky Mountains is in the U.S., and it's on the state line of Tennessee and North Carolina. So they get there, day one, having a good time. Nothing happens. Day two, they hike to a place called Spence Field. And this is in the afternoon, about 2 to 4 p.m. And they actually met another family there whose last name was also Martin. And it was a husband and wife and their two kids who are about the same age as Douglas, Dennis's older brother. Sorry, lots of names. So they become friends pretty quickly, and uh, their boys start playing in the field, you know, not too far off. And they're watching them while talking to each other, and they notice the boys are, like, hurtling up, whispering to each other, giggling, looking <laughs> back at the parents, whispering to each other, giggling, looking back at the parents, and they do that over and over so the parents are just talking like, what are they doing over there? They're planning something. They're plotting something. They think they're funny. 
and they watch as they run off into like the forest area, but just hide behind like a bush and like some trees. So they're like, okay, well, we don't want them to go too far off. So we'll play into this and act like, you know, we don't know where they went, even though they watched them the whole time. Mm -hmm. So without breaking eye contact, they walk, they beeline it straight towards the forest, the forest edge. And they start calling out, playing into it, you know, where'd you guys go? Where'd you guys go? And it's at that point when they arrive, the kids jump out and they, they scare them. Surprise, you know, all the kids, but Dennis. So they're like, where's Dennis? And apparently the three kids said they told Dennis to hide in like that bush over there. So they walk up to the bush and they look behind no Dennis. They tear the bush apart. They look inside. No Dennis. They're calling his name. Nothing. Dennis was wearing a red shirt that day. They couldn't see any color of red in the forest. It's a bright color, easy to, to spot, you know, when you're in the wilderness. So immediately they call the park rangers for help. Father and grandfather split up to start looking um, in the meantime before the park rangers get there. And then the other kids uh, with their parents split off to on their own group, go look for Dennis. So they're calling his name Dennis. About an hour later, three park rangers show up and they meet up with them and they give them the information and the three park rangers split up on nearby foot trails and search throughout the night actually. And they search for hours until there was rainfall and there's three inches of rainfall. Damn. So that was concerning. Obviously, for Dennis's well-being, being on his own, but also the rain can potentially, you know, wash away any evidence, footprints, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, actually, the Martin family, the main Martin family here that we're talking about, they've been there a bunch of times. They have vacationed here before, camped here, so they're pretty familiar with it. But at the same time, Spence Field specifically was a little difficult to navigate and pretty easy to get lost in. There's lots of creeks uh, that are really loud around the area, and it's a smoky mountain, so it's typically foggy. So you can't see very far uh, in certain conditions. This happened on June 15th of 1969, which ironically, the same year, the incredible band, The Shags, came out with their album. The year we landed on the moon. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Actually, sorry, this happened... This happened June 14th. The 15th, the next day, volunteers showed up to help with the search. 240 of them. It's a sizable group. Mm. And news spread really quickly, especially back in the day, you know. What was that? 50 years ago now. And over 200 people came, showed up. Lots of them random locals, some family members, but mostly just locals wanting to help. This was good for numbers but also bad because most of them were untrained. Mm. So that can decrease like the effectiveness of the search. Like when there's a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing, doing one thing, trying to do one thing, right? then it can do more harm than good. It could also like get rid of or like deface like potential evidence if right. they don't know how to look for it or if they breeze over it or, yeah. Anyway, in the following days, more people rallied in, including more professionals Day three, FBI, park rangers, trained bloodhound dogs, National Guard, helicopters, 
and even the Green Beret joined in on the search. Day three, the search party grew to a sizable 1,400 people. So people, like news is spreading quick and like the story is selling. People are wanting to help. Uh No. Obviously professionals, it's their jobs, but there's still a lot more volunteers coming wanting to help where they can. Now that there's a little more professionals, there's a little more organization, but it sounded like the whole operation seemed pretty disorganized to begin with. I guess back then, uh, or this is like the first time somebody went missing in uh, the Smoky Mountains. So the park rangers didn't really have a process for something like this. You know, they didn't have like exact protocol Mm. of what to do. They were just doing what they thought they should do, kind of winging it. Mm -hmm. So at that point, there was a 5K reward for anybody who found Dennis. Dude, that's pretty small. 5K and 69? Oh, yeah, that's like 300 million dollars <laughs> exactly now i i looked up a calculator online it was thir- it's uh, equivalent to 35k mm. yeah you're like okay for yeah. it's like oh, i found a little more you know that's how much your kid is worth <laughs> yeah damn didn't even a corolla okay yeah. <laughs> on day three you know uh search party is really big now at 2 30 p.m a pair of footprints were found it was weird because these footprints only had one shoe. So you could see shoe, barefoot, shoe, barefoot, oh. and so on. Yeah. They identified the shoe print as an Oxford shoe, which is exactly the type of shoe Dennis was wearing. It was also the exact same size as, as Dennis's feet. So these footprints went for 300 feet and stopped at a creek. Or went into a creek. And this creek had a really strong current. And this creek emptied into a lake. This area was actually searched on like day two. And because of that, they didn't proceed with another search. They thought it was, you know, we we went over this area. Check. Yeah. yeah, Like, we need to check the other areas. We didn't, you know, we like, we're we're playing against time right now. Mm-hmm. On day three, the families were starting to get looked at as well. The Martin family. Yeah. Uh, they, the FBI looked into family history, tried to look for like custody battles because I think the parents were divorced. Custody battles or history of abuse, nothing. Super clean. No history. Nothing on their records. Interviewed them and whatnot. And the FBI had no reason to believe that they were involved in any type of foul play. The other family was also interviewed, researched, nothing. And separately, when they were interviewed, like, both families gave, had the same, like, telling. Like, there was no variation in the story. So that was pretty quickly ruled out that the family had something to do with it. Yeah. On the same day of the kidnapping, or a day later, but it was within, like, a time frame where it's definitely in question, nine miles away, A family was visiting the park as well. A man, his wife, and their son. The man's name is Harold Keyes. So Harold is taking his wife and son for a walk, and they're looking for a... Their their goal for this trip is to find wildlife, you know. They're really excited to find wildlife. I don't know how old the son is, but when they're on a trail hiking, they hear, quote, a gut-wrenching scream. 
They said it was so loud, so, so loud, like it filled the area. And right when the screen finishes, the son says, look, it's a bear. Harold, father, looks and immediately categorizes this as not a bear, <laughs> but describes it as a dark-figured, really rough-looking man. Harold said it looked like it was hiding behind a bush and then proceeded to stand up, walk with two legs, with something over its shoulder. Something red? So, when reporting this, Harold said, I specifically remember not seeing, like not seeing the thing over its shoulder uh, with any type of red clothing. Uh -huh. So, people speculate that, you know, Bigfoot was involved. Mm -hmm. You know, that paranormal is, something paranormal was part of this entire story. So, I, I think Charles has shared this story a while back. I don't think he shared the Harold Keys part with the son seeing the bear. And the son was very insistent. Like, like I said, I don't know how old he was. I tried looking that up. I couldn't find it. So if it was three years old, then I'd believe the dad more. <laughs> but if he's like 10, <laughs> you know, maybe give him more weight to that, that argument. True. But it doesn't end there with this dark figured, really rough looking man. What happened was they watch as this dark figure is walking briskly and then approaches what looks like a white car, opens the door, gets in, and drives off. What the <laughs> frick? Are you rising my berries? No, dude. He got in a car and drove off. This bear man looking thing. With something over its shoulder. With something over its shoulder. So that's the part that I'm I'm trying to get to that I think you either didn't I find didn't cover or that left part. out. Yeah. yeah. I only covered that they saw something sketch. I remember I vaguely remember the bush. That's why I asked, but I didn't want to spoil the story. Yeah, I feel that. Because yeah, no, I did not hear that the dude drove away. Yeah. <laughs> In that Corolla he bought with this 35k. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's all coming together. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, so easy a caveman can do it. <laughs> Damn, that's hilarious. <laughs> Just the inspiration for Geico. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, no, I had no idea. I didn't hear that part at all. Yeah. Yeah. That was the most wild part to me because, you know, everyone's thinking off. Bigfoot and then you're watching this big thing. Like, even if it was just a man, like, where did that scream come from? They said it wasn't a human scream, you know? Yeah. So many weird details. Yeah. Strange, strange details. Gets in, drives off. FBI, however, rules this out really quickly. If I remember correctly, they didn't tell the family for a while. I'm getting there. Oh, snap. So uh, FBI said, you know, it was nine miles away. Harold didn't see anything red. And this thing got in a car and drove off. But to me, that's not like good enough to rule it out. No. Like, someone can easily abduct a child and hike off with them, you know? In, in my mind, I feel like somebody could do that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Harold Keyes waited several days to report this. Okay. That's, that's another thing that's suspicious. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Also, after they gave all of that information, 
what they saw. FBI did their rounds with him and his family, trying to get every piece of information, looking into them as well. Harold and his family just disappeared. <gasps> you never hear from them again. What? Yeah. They went missing, 411. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, never mind. Never mind. Um, more evidence. An individual was hunting illegally and claimed he saw a skull of a child. This was maybe a year after it happened. This is also suspicious because he shared that piece of information 16 years after Dennis went missing. Dude, what the hell is up with all these people like just waiting to tell? BTW. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I know y'all cared. The person I heard who shared this story, well, I listened to a, a couple different outlets uh, that covered this story. But one person said, you know, in almost every true crime scenario, there are people who come with like pieces of evidence and like interject themselves in years later. Some of it is just for I was there for the clout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, who knows? Nobody knows if that's the true story. But uh, the dude, the hunter, said he didn't share because he thought he would get arrested for hunting illegally. So that's why he initially didn't share. Okay, that and he waited. All you got to do is be like, "I was out hiking." Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get arrested and also potentially save. Somebody. Well, at that point, is <laughs> long gone. Well, um, he probably put the skull there. Maybe, but. That still remains a cold case. Okay, here's my theory. Is that the Bigfoot-looking dude is actually some Smoky Mountain wild people, and all of the locals are in on it. And that's why they volunteered so quickly to go in a race. We need to protect Jebediah. Any. Jebediah snatched another young <laughs> Evidence. One. Dude, that's not case a bad closed. theory. Yeah, I think we just solved it. Yeah, text Dave. <laughs> um, dude, I have uh, two theories. One, Dennis wasn't a real person. Oh, dude. They never brought him on the trip. They just made that up. Bro. How'd no they get the other like, said family like to cooperate? They could have known the family. It's not impossible. But also, this theory is not substantiated by any means. <laughs> two, dude, portals. <gasps> dude, portals are real. <laughs> dude, I think they're real. Well... If you are a Mormon, we believe in portals. We have a scripture about an angel who opens up a conduit into heaven, turns around, open up, open, opens up a hole in a bedroom, walks through. Bro, it's like Doctor it. Strange. Uh, <laughs> no, even if, even if you're you're Christian, like the story of when uh, Peter the apostle gets rescued from prison. What happens? Refresh my memory. Uh, he's in prison and like the. I mean, not necessarily a portal, but it's the same thing, dude. Angel <laughs> appeared in the prison cell and that was the portal. Told right. Peter, told Peter, we're breaking out of here. Yeah. We did your shit, homie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh they he opens the door and they walk past like, I don't know, twenty, thirty Roman guards who are awake, you know, standing guard at a prison. They walk past all of the guards. So, yeah. I mean. Interesting. Do you know what? Uh, it's a fairly common. I feel like it's a common belief to yeah. say that. If you were to translate it to today's age. Modern it's terms. Portals. portals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, people who believe that this world is a simulation. Do you know what their theory is for missing 411? Huh. 
So the program that is being run on everything. Yeah. Like the order, simulation? Yeah. In order to save data, it, it doesn't want to, in huge areas of just uh, wilderness, it doesn't want to render everything. And so when you're out there or there's things out there, sometimes to save uh, memory or RAM, it just stops rendering things. Bro, I feel like that there's more rendering in a giant city than out in the woods, though. But that, that's the thing. So in order to save, and out in the woods where there's only like one person for thousands of miles. Okay, I see. I see what you're they're saying. They're saying like they don't render. Like, it, it doesn't render everything all the time. It tries to save. And so sometimes people are like in that when they get like mm. unrendered. Or that's that's why like there's staircases around. You're the one getting unrendered, dude. That's what I'm saying. So that's where these kids are like disappearing. Dude, theory three. Oh, snap. I didn't know you had one more. My bad. I didn't know either. Uh, <laughs> the cannibals of the Smoky Mountains, dude. Wrong turn. There's so <laughs> many stories. Dude, I, I looked it up, and there's even, like, a tourist attraction experience that's kind of like an outside escape room involving you getting away from cannibals. 100%. I want to do that. Like, that was, in, that, that was, like, influence from, like, the culture of the area. Yikes. Yeah. So, people <laughs> believe that there's underground tunnels in... The uh, like the Appalachian 100% Mountains. Hundred percent, there's yeah. underground tunnels. With, they don't need to believe there are a with, ton. <laughs> with albino, <gasps> albino inbred cannibals. Yikes! That's a thing, bro. There's so many caves out there. It's wild. The what? What is concerning, or I don't want to discredit, is the shoe footprint. I don't think I shared that in my original one either. I don't remember that bit of evidence, but that's alarming. Just even that, like. Coming across that and being like, oh, yikes. And then yeah. not following up. Whoever in charge of this is a re- <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that. But they are. Yeah, not not the best work. <laughs> yeah, it seemed just very disorganized. But like I said, I'm pretty sure this was the first person to go missing. So. I mean, not for the Green Beret and the CIA, or the FBI. They called in the Green Berets, bro. Yeah. I remember when I was reading it, that was also like... A huge point of conspiracy is like why are so many different um, like, factions of the yeah. government involved and and from what i heard none of them were communicating hmm. and so i remember they're the all dad, hush hush yeah the data even was frustrated that like they weren't saying things. they didn't tell him about the other the family who saw family. yeah for like days and he was like what the hell like what so, that's us and dude. he got in a white car yeah what, what the hell dude <laughs> That's a government car if you've ever heard of one. 100%. A Ford dude, Focus. they were taking them up to that freaking place in New York where they're experimenting on kids. Montauk, Montauk. Dude. It's yeah, all connected. Yeah, dude. Every story we've ever shared on this podcast is connected. Everything's Montauk. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's wild. That is wild. I'm glad you reminded us. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad there was more light to be shed on this story. Hmm. I have an update <gasps> on another story. Dyatlov Pass. Whoa. Are you talk about the American one? No, the Russian the one. The Russian one. Okay. Dude. None of you look it up. It's mine. Really? Is that what you're going to share? No. I've never heard of the American Dyatlov Pass. Is there it's an like American the... Dyatlov Pass? Cool. I won't look it up. Okay, cool. I'll leave that for you. Um, Sean immediately looked it up. <laughs> um, yeah. If you don't know what the Dyatlov Pass incident is, read a book. Go look it up. But. <laughs> They think they've solved it. What? As of last year, 2020. Whoa. What? What is their... their uh... 2020 might be worth it, dude. Dude, for yeah. <laughs> There's an article on National Geographic about it. Hell yeah. Has science solved? One of history's greatest adventure mysteries. 
Okay, yeah. what's it? What's say? What's say? Subheading says the bizarre deaths of hikers at Russia's Dyatlov Pass have inspired countless conspiracy theories, but the answer may lie in an elegant computer model based on surprising sources. So uh, it just involved like bodies being torn apart, yeah, finding their bodies in the snow. Somewhere inside the tent, it looked like they tried to get out of get the out tent. of the tent. Some of them were able to like walk with their bloody feet off to the forest in the snow, and one of them was found like sitting up against the tree with its like tongue ripped out. Yeah, and it's just like super brutal, super yeah. brutal. Um, nobody found them, I think, until like spring. It was you know? so much. It was snow. like yeah, it was uh, it was like a class, a college class. Like they were all experienced hikers and explorers and scientists and they were going out on some expedition to do some studies so they this wasn't their first round you know but scientists and engineers computer engineers now think that it's it was a uh it was an avalanche that caused all of this basically bro i'm not convinced as of now <laughs> I'm just going to send you guys the article yeah, and you can read through the whole thing. The gist of it is that this place gets wild avalanches every once in a long while, but it, it, uh, it, yeah, it's once in a blue moon. It rarely happens, but when it does, it's like hectic, perfect storm. And who um, funded this National <laughs> Geographic article? You read it first and then you come back. Okay. But the crazy thing is. Scientists relied, this is me reading from the article, scientists relied on some unorthodox sources of inspiration and information. A few years back, one of these scientists who have been studying this case for like decades and who's one of the ones who thinks he found the answer on why it happened was struck by how well the movement of snow was depicted in the 2013 Disney movie Frozen. So impressed, in fact, that he decided to ask the animators how they pulled it off. Following a trip to Hollywood to meet with the specialists who worked on frozen snow effects, the scientist modified the film's snow animation code for his avalanche simulation models, albeit with a decidedly less entertaining purpose. Diablo, Diablo. <laughs> to simulate the impacts that avalanches would have on the human body. Interesting. Yeah. So Frozen solved this. Frozen solved the Diallo Pass incident. So go look it up. National Geographic. There's some information that sheds more light on Diallo Pass than ever before. What the heck? But that's not all. (gasps) I have one more story about a phenomenon. It's not really a story. It's more of like, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy phenomenon about living and moving statues what and that's for our patrons <laughs> bro i'm intrigued yeah. <laughs> so the first one actually happened the first one that i'm going to share happened last year all right bring us home charles hell yeah all right it's me tonight i was planning on sharing like four or five stories damn because they're all kind of short but i'm just going to share two So for my first story tonight, we are going to be talking about a very well-endowed man. (laughs) And we're not talking about Kevin. Or William (laughs) Hung. (laughs) Or William Hung. Uh, Okay. So this is actually about a person I've brought up before, 
by the name of Rasputin. Oh, uh, yeah. Rah, rah. <laughs> All right. So for those who don't know, Rasputin was a mystic from Russia who like worked with the czar as like a spiritual advisor. Very sketchy dude. A lot of mystic and mythical things surrounding him. He was a large character in history. That's crazy because today I saw a TikTok of the steeziest dude dancing to Ra Ra Rasputin. <laughs> and it was just a total vibe. He's super feeling himself. One of those videos that's like you watch like 50 times. Yeah. Pure admiration. But dude, take random? that out. I'll, no. But I'll send it to you. <laughs> anyway, so Rasputin was not only like a super large personality, he was a big dude. He was 6'4", I believe. Very imposing. Have you guys ever seen photos of him? I don't think so, no. Unless it's from the uh, beloved animated film Anastasia. <laughs> Dude, he looks hella creepy, bro. He looks like he guards nightclubs for a living. <laughs> yeah, so he's a scary looking dude. Bearded fella, long hair. A lot of stories about him. He had like a sick son and he routinely healed him. Things like that. He was known to have possible mythical powers. The part of his life I'm going to cover tonight is the end of his life. So Rasputin has gotten to a position where he has a lot of influence on powerful people. And there are people within the Russian party um, who are not down with that. So they decide, you're going to kill Rasputin. So late one night. So he was a good dude. I don't think so. No? Uh, I skimmed a lot of his history. I saw the word like, I saw the word rape come up. Mm. I saw, yeah, he, he, no, I don't think he was a good dude, but Mm. I wasn't there. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So they invite him to the house, this house one night, a house of like, I don't know, probably a, a special person. He gets there a little after midnight and they immediately invite him downstairs. They go down to the basement and they have kind of food, wine, all these things set up and they're going to have this meeting downstairs. They have like cakes, pastries, and they're all laced with insane amounts of cyanide. So, even a small amount of cyanide could kill a human. So they offer Rasputin, partake, you know, eat some, eat some cakes. And at first he denies, but after a moment, he starts pounding these cakes. And they're all like, perfect. And he starts drink, eating all of these cakes. No effect. <laughs> so the guy sitting there is watching him, waiting, and he just keeps eating cakes. And he says something like, I, I'm hungry. Can I have some wine? And they pour him a shit ton of wine that's also laced with cyanide. <laughs> and he downs three glasses. Dude, this is like, a, is it Princess Bride? Oh, yeah. Yeah. With the poison, <laughs> yeah. like the vials. When death is on the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been training his whole life I for this. I don't think, though, you can build a tolerance to cyanide, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um. But anyway, he drinks three glasses of like half cyanide, half wine. And the guy sitting there is watching him. No effect. Bro, this dude, the heaviest heavyweight out there. So the guy who's with him starts to, you know, panic. Understandably, I would be like, what the hell's happening, dude? Um, We're dealing with a juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes, shit, dude, I don't know what to do. Goes upstairs where all of his like co-conspirators are. And they're like, they're like... So Rasputin is dead. And in there, he's like, dude, f- no. <laughs> he's like, this guy is going hard. I don't know what to do. So he reaches down, grabs his buddy's gun, goes downstairs, and walks up behind Rasputin and says, 
you need to look at the cross and pray. And shoots him in the chest. And Rasputin falls on the ground. They're like, okay, good. Initiate the next part of our plan. Him and the other guys put on Rasputin's coat, pull it off his body, put it on his, put on his coat, and they drive to Rasputin's house, and they make a ton of noise, and they walk into Rasputin's house to make sure someone sees Rasputin came home last night. Yeah. Then they, like, go out the back, go home. Like, okay, now we got to get rid of the body. So they go downstairs. Rasputin's still on the ground, blood on the floor, and they walk up to him, and he leaps up and grabs the closest guy and starts beating the shit out of him. <laughs> And knocks that dude to the ground. That guy gets free and sprints out of the house because Rasputin is just like wailing on him. And they get into the courtyard behind the house and he turns and shoots Rasputin point blank in the forehead and he falls. Then him and like the five other dudes beat the living shit or the dead shit out of him. They like (laughs) kick him, stomp him, everything they can do. Yeah. They wrap his body up in cloth and they throw him in the back of a car. And they start driving. They get to a bridge over like a frozen river. And they take him out, toss him into the river. Now, autopsy, when they like got his body, the claim, the story is, he, he had marks of like scratching on under the ice. So even with a bullet to his head, he was somehow still alive and died with water in his lungs, meaning he drowned to death. Oh my gosh. Dude, talk about second wind. <laughs> For real, this dude never quits. <laughs> we need to all be more like Rasputin. Yeah. Um, dude, the poison got Rasputin. The bullet got Rasputin. Yeah. Rasputin didn't get poison. Oh, <laughs> 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 they say, like, historians and stuff like that will never actually know what happened that night. These are just the stories and the myth and the legend. Mm-hmm. They do have the body, they do have evidence, and his body was like, bullet hole in the head hella bruises everywhere you know what i'm saying so they're like there was an autopsy and there was like you know a report made but no one truly knows what happened these are just the stories of that night dude he's built like hodor he's yeah he's a big fella scary dude black magic stuff who knows for sure Hmm. anyway i thought that was just interesting to hear about this freaking dude it's wild savage dude uh next story is the the thing you said in your story about the kid disappearing and them seeing like a wild man mm-hmm. reminds me of this a little bit. So the year is 1889. Um, this is all up and down the East Coast, but mainly like from Connecticut between the Hudson River and the Connecticut River. All these communities grow to know this character that they coin the Leatherman. Ugh. So up and down this path, this man walks from the Connecticut River to the Hudson River, which there and back is 365 miles. And he does it every 30-ish days. So at first, people, I'm sure, are a little concerned about this dude. A little. (laughs) But from reading a lot of the accounts and things and interactions, it sounds like he never imposed... Or he never posed a threat. Uh And so it kind of sounded like these communities liked him. He got the name Leatherman because he wore a full suit of homemade leather clothing. It's like a leather hat, a leather scarf, a leather jacket, pants, shoes. And he just out here hiking in that? This dude, he does 
with like like clockwork and without break, he just walks 365 miles up and down the coast. So much chafing, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, people liked him so much they start leaving food. For, like they know his when he's going to be around because he just does the same path. No one knows where he's from. No one knows who he actually is, what his name is. But they like him enough or it becomes kind of a local legend. They leave food on his porch and he walks up and down and he'll eat the food on people's porches. So any interactions with this guy? Everyone says most of the time his communication is just uh, monosyllabic or one just like mm, mm, like one grunt. That's all he ever does. The most people have ever heard him talk is when he comes into the shops and orders supplies where he speaks broken English. No one knows where who he is, where he's from. If any conversation comes up about his origin, anything about him, they said he dropped it abruptly and like walked away. This is, they still have on record one of his orders from a supply shop. Do you guys want to hear what he got for supplies? Please. <laughs> he ordered one loaf of bread, a can of sardines, one pound of fancy cupcakes. A pound of cupcakes? A pie, a quart of coffee, and one gill of brandy and a bottle of beer. <laughs> Dude, that's not strange. That makes sense. <laughs> no one knows where he got money. He didn't have a job. So the main thing is like he becomes kind of this iconic character where like no one knows where he's from, who he is. He's just this weird dude who walks up and down every 30 days, 365 miles. And on his paths, he stays in what they call Leatherman Caves. Uh, so he has all these caves that he lives in. They're like rock caves. Damn, these caves are perfect. <laughs> They're built perfectly. It's a burly dude. But like he looks pretty terrifying. Yeah, he looks like yeah. Matt, he looks like Mad Eye Moody. Yeah, that's a great descriptor. Yeah. So people want to find out who he is. They try to talk to him to no avail, and he just goes on his entire life walking up and down the coast. He survived a lot of blizzards, and they said it was pretty impressive because most vagrants back then would lose like fingers and toes because of frostbite. But he somehow managed to like survive everything. He even was given exemption by the local authority. They had what they called tramp laws, which were like laws to like, if you were a vagrant and you were kind of like living, they could get rid of you. But they made an exception for him and allowed him to do it. Huh. So doesn't sound like he was a scary dude, even though he looks terrifying. People were kind of like accustomed to him. He's kind of just like, a, I don't know, a tradition or something. He just did his own thing and people were like, hey, what's up? Mm -hmm. People notice in 18... 89, I believe, they don't see the Leatherman. The shops would have his order ready because they knew when he was going to come in, he stops coming in. So they go looking for him and they find him in one of his Leatherman caves and he's passed away. He has like nothing on him, very f f small amount of money and a French prayer book. That's the only clues they have to his identity. Huh. So they give him a burial and they give him a plaque and on the plaque, they put a name. But this name that they give him, it appears like around the time in a publication, but there's no evidence that that's actually who he is. And that's where he stayed his grave for since that time. 2015, they say, we're going to move his grave because it's not an official graveyard. It's like in a field somewhere. And we're also going to do DNA evidence and figure out who the hell this guy was, or at least where he came from, you know, 
pinpoint his origin. So 2015, they dig up his grave, they get to the coffin and they open it up and it's completely empty. Oh my gosh. There's some nails and some like bits of wood. They take the nails and the bits of wood and they put it in a new pine coffin and they put it in a graveyard and no one knows like where his body went. Dude, I didn't expect that. I didn't either. <laughs> I was reading this and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then it ends with that. And I was like, what the hell? Were there Sorry. scratch Sorry. marks inside That's it? That's fine. I don't know. I didn't, I don't, I, I mean, the storyteller in me is, yes, of course. It was, <laughs> you know. Was there a hole punched through? <laughs> yeah. Like Kill Bill Volume 2? There was a curse etched in there yeah, any fingernails in around the area. <laughs> but yeah, that's the story of the leather man. Anyway, that's the that's the leather man. Dang. Just, that's just like East Coast folklore. Prestige. Yeah. <laughs> um I like that. Should that's I leave wholesome. it there? Yeah. Okay, I'll leave it there. That's that was, me tonight then, guys. That was fun. That was fun. Thank you everyone for continually listening and if you're new, welcome. Uh, we hope to see you again. But uh, hit us up on our socials. We're happy to talk about whatever. If you want to share stories, we're happy to listen. Maybe share them on the podcast. Or if you want to share something cool that's going on. Hell yeah. A movie, a show, a meme, anything. <laughs> yeah, send it our way. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you. Uh, anything else to add? No, sir. No, sir. Then with that, trust your gut and watch your back. Bye, love you, be safe. Be careful out there. See you guys. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of 3 a.m. If you want to support us, visit our Patreon where patrons have access to exclusive content. If you're not able to support us monetarily, don't worry. This episode is on us. You can still rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to us on. It really does go a long way. You can also follow us on social media. Our handle everywhere, including Patreon, is the 3 a.m. pod. Finally, do you have any scary stories? If so, submit them to our website, the3ampodcast.com. We love any audio or visual aids that can help bring your stories to life. So file uploads are welcome with your written submissions. We're anxious and excited to hear from you. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence. 
delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.